you would take your Bibles and open again to a passage we looked at this morning, Matthew chapter 3, we'll read verses 7 through 10, Matthew 3, 7 through 10. Of course, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, it says beginning in verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Broom of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's pray. Father, again, we bow before you with thankful hearts for your goodness and grace and allow us the privilege to be able to open up your word again this afternoon and study. We pray, Father, that your spirit would be our teacher and that we would understand the truth and rightly apply it to our life. Cause us to understand how important it is that we do examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith, to make sure that we are bringing forth fruit that is pleasing to you. Do not allow us, Father, to be deceived like the religious leaders of Jesus' day were, and so many that are deceived even in our day. Bless our time together. We do pray, Father, for Benjamin, even at this moment as he's there at the hospital. We pray that you would give the doctors the wisdom they need. We pray that there is not any serious injury, but that he would be able to be released and go home. This we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. As I mentioned to you this morning, this is the third point of the sermon from this morning. What is the real fruit that we are commanded to bring forth? As I shared, we see in the New Testament that fruit bearing is intensified. It was promoted in the Old Testament. Israel was to bring forth fruit, but we see that Jesus comes and he even emphasizes it more. We see it begins, of course, with John the Baptist emphasizing that here in Matthew chapter 3 and verses 7 through 10. John, of course, were preparing the way for the Messiah, the message that he would bring. And, of course, he was preaching repentance and Jesus himself came preaching repentance. Israel as a whole had not shown any real repentance. They had not shown any real fruit bearing. What was the consequences of that? They were under the dominion of Rome. They were under their persecution. They had still not bore fruit so that they might prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Now, of course, this word repentance, as you should know, but I will remind you, the word actually means a change of mind. To be able to express sorrow for your disobedience to God. And they, 
Israel as well as us, have offended a holy God. I don't know what that was. <laughs> um, I'm not bringing lightning down from heaven. So there is a need that we all repent. Repent means to turn from self to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remove self from the throne and bow to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, of course, repentance isn't a one-time event. There's a beginning. There's the first initial repentance. That's when you came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. You bowed and you cried out to Him. You turned from your sin. You were convicted of your sins. You cried out to God to save you, to remove the sin. You realized that Jesus Christ is the one that paid your debt. You looked to Him and Him alone. You knew that all of your righteousness was as filthy rags. That's the kind of testimony each of us should have. That at some point in our life, we might not know the exact day that it happened, but you know that it began somewhere and that it continued There was a day that you began to cry out to God for salvation, for Jesus Christ. You looked to Him and Him alone. You heard some of that in the testimony there in our Sunday school hour this morning from uh, Richard Wakefield and how God worked in his life. And you can relate to that. Now, some may not have had such a drastic experience as he had, but there was some time that you came to your understanding that you were a sinner and that you needed Christ to save you from your sin. So you repented and you looked to Christ. That's the beginning of repentance and it continues throughout your life. As the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, a verse that we're all, or two verses that we're all familiar with. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, in other words, we must say that we are sinners. We understand that we need salvation. And then we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not a one-time experience. That's a continuous experience all the way to the end of our life. John Calvin says, Repentance is an inward matter which has its seat in the heart and soul, but afterward yields its fruit in a changed life. So we see that somebody has repented, that their life has changed. They were going one direction toward hell, living a life that was hellish, enjoying sin, indulging in sin, and a day came about when the Spirit changed them and they turned around and went the opposite direction. Instead of going to hell, now they're headed to heaven, and they're putting off the old man and putting on the new man. So the life has changed. It's not enough to simply profess sorrow for your sins, for your transgression. But you confess it, you repent of it, and you turn from it. We must turn from our sins. Of course, it's the Spirit of God that turns us from our sin and takes the love of sinning away from us 
And He turns us from our sins to Jesus Christ. He becomes the Lord of our life. He becomes the Master of our life. We look to Him and we say, Lord, every day we look to Him, Lord, what do you want to do in my life today? Lord, I want to please you today. Keep me from temptation. Make me more like you. That is a heart that is repentant. That is a heart that loves God and wants to serve God. If any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, of course, that new is something that continues to become new. It's not a one-time thing. It's something that is progressive, progressive sanctification. Every day we should be becoming more like Christ by putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Those who are truly repentant, they continue to resist the devil, as the scripture tells us. We resist the devil by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one reason why, again, we pray in the morning. Lord, give me strength this day to resist the devil. Give me strength this day to obey your word. Give me strength this day to overcome all temptation that comes my way. Give me strength to live for you, to be used in your hand as your instrument to bring glory and honor to your name. Give me strength to flee from the devil. So therefore, we looked to God. We looked to his spirit. So that we might grow in grace. And likewise, as Christians, we're to help one another. The scripture tells us we are to bear one another's burdens. In other words, we are to hold one another accountable. As believers in Christ, we are to seek to encourage one another in the faith. And when we see a brother or a sister that seems to be falling away, we are to go to them and encourage them. That's probably one of the greatest failures of the church today. The church is unwilling to get involved in other people's life. I can remember years ago, this has been over 30 years ago, I was at a particular church and, and there were some individuals talking, some other pastors, that's what it was, some other pastors talking, and one pastor said, well, I'm not going to get involved in their situation. There was, a, there was a couple that was having some problems in their church and they were on the verge of divorce, and he said, I'm not going to get in their, their situation, their problems fit in their matters. That's his calling, He's got to get involved in their life. He's got to talk to them. He's got to try to get them to reconcile. A lot of times it's ugliness that we have to deal with. We don't take great joy in dealing with that joy, that ugliness, but we have to deal with that ugliness. And likewise, our brothers and sisters in Christ, there's times that we have to deal with those things and encourage them in a loving way. Now, of course, we must make sure As the scripture also says that we take the beam out of our own eye before we try to take the twig out of our brother's eye. In other words, you better make sure you have your own life in order before you go try to get somebody else's life in order. And that's probably one of the hindrances that we have in the church today. We're a little bit scared to go deal with somebody else because we're wondering what are they going to bring up about us. Well, we better make sure that we have our own life right with the Lord so that we can deal with someone else and encourage them. We don't go to them piously. No, we go to them very humbly. And we may see something in their life that at one time we saw in our own life. And we tell them, look, it looks like you're struggling with the same sin that I used to struggle in my life. Let me encourage you. Let me share with you some things that I think that will help you in your Christian pilgrimage. So we're to bear one another's burden. Listen to what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians chapter 6, again, children, you can follow along in your Bible. It will help you in your Bible drill. Galatians 6, chapter, I mean, verse 1 and 2. 
Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any transgress, transgress, transpass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul clearly tells us how we are to restore, brother, that is to be done in gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So he's speaking about helping us in our spiritual walk, one another in spiritual walk. Many times we have to realize that today those in the church, they don't help. In other words, they turn on the very ones that they ought to be loving and encouraging and seeking to restore. We have to realize that Christianity is a religion that is a religion of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And we have to understand that. How many times did Jesus say you were to forgive one another? Remember the question was asked and said seven times? And what did Jesus respond? He said seven times seventy Now, of course, he wasn't saying that once you read, and and, uh, we have to understand this and make very clear reference, Matt, that once you get to 400 and however 90, uh, that doesn't mean that you don't have to forgive anymore. No, no. I know you have to put up with Courtney a lot of times, but it'd be over 490 times. Same way that Fonzo has to put, or Bunny should have to pay. I'm not going to say the other way around. I mean, we all, and I can say the same with mine. I mean, it's every day. Right? Every day we have to forgive. And that's what Jesus is saying. As long as a person is there, we must forgive them when they seek repentance. I mean, we must look to biblical repentance and we know that we're limited. You know, someone may say that they're sorry. Someone may repent. We don't know their heart, but we must take them at their word. Unless their life contradicts their word, then we can point that out to them. R.C. Sproul said, One of the more neglected tools that can help us grow in our holiness is the confession of sin. One to another. Now, have you ever thought about that? Did you hear what he says? One of the tools that help us grow in our holiness is confession of sin. Confession of sin to one another. It can be difficult to admit to another person that we have sinned. Is that not true? I mean, none of us really want to tell anyone else our sins, right? We kind of hesitate. We don't, oh, we don't want them to know that we're that kind of a bad person. We don't know that we've done that particular sin. We don't want people, we want, just like we said this morning, we want everybody to think that we're a super mom, that we have an A-team Christian family. All of these things that we want to try to do. Is it just leaves or is it true fruit in our life? He goes on and he says... But loving brothers and sisters in Christ can help assure us of His forgiveness and help us overcome persistent temptations. Without being involved in the life of other believers, we will not find these opportunities. So he's saying you have to be involved in the life of other believers to have these opportunities. Take the initiative and be a part of the life of other Christians. That's important both in the home and outside of the home. Have you ever truly repented of your sins, had that change of direction, and you begun to pursue holiness? Second, bringing forth spiritual fruit, which shows 
that you do have a changed heart and a changed mind. Again, look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the previous chapter. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 19, he says, First of all, the works of the flesh are evident. Which are? Now, these are the works of the flesh. These, these are the works of a lost person. He says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the likes of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Any person that has that kind of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, of course, it doesn't say there that if a person commits that sin and seeks forgiveness, he's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. No, it's saying that if that person has that lifestyle, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, it's very clear. Some people say, well, those are the words of Paul there. Well, we could turn over into the Gospels and see that Jesus has similar words to that. But whether it's the words of Paul or whether it's the words of Jesus, it doesn't matter. It's the words of God's word inspired for all of us. But then Paul goes on and he gives us the life of a Christian. So those first three verses, 19 through 21, are the life of a lost person. The life of a Christian begins in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envy one another, or envying one another. So we see that Paul gives us a clear distinction between those who are lost and those who are saved. The lifestyle of a Christian is that he is to be bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. So Christians are to be, as he says there, walking in what? Walking in the Spirit, not walking in the flesh. Paul also gives us the distinction of Christian there in Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, what? You will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For as many who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage against fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, it, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. So Paul clearly points out that one is in Christ, walks in the Spirit, not in the flesh, because one in Christ has died to the flesh. Jesus also points out in the parable of the sower, as we saw this morning, that the seed planted in the good soil does what? Produces fruit. 
a hundred, sixty, thirty-fold. But what do we see there? That there's always fruit. It might only be thirty, but it's fruit. It might be sixty or it might be a hundredfold. There is fruit there. There's evidence there. Listen to what one pastor said. What did Christ say in the Sermon on the Mount? By their fruit you will recognize them. Not by their claim, Jesus told his disciples, I have appointed you to go and bear fruit. Paul is concerned that the Christians in Rome might bear fruit to God, that the Philippians might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory of praise of God. James describes the wise as being full of mercy and good fruit. So, in the great day of judgment before us, God's concern will be this. Not our gifts, not our knowledge, not our faith, but fruit. And we must keep that in mind. Jeff Thomas said, or shared a story... He said once a friend of his who was a preacher was speaking to a man about the gospel. And the man got very angry with him when he heard the man say to, uh, when Jeff said to this particular man that he would die if he continued in his sin. And the man said, you mean that if I don't believe What you're telling me, God is going to kill me. The pastor responded, yes. The man responded courageously, I don't believe that. And the friend said, well, you better believe it. God will kill you. Of course, we know that he was speaking about eternal judgment. That eternal judgment does not believe bank on whether he believes it or not, right? Whether a person believes it doesn't matter. Whether a person believes the Bible or not, that doesn't change the matters. Whether God says he's going to do it, then God is going to do it. And that's what he said. And that's what the man tried to convey to him. That God has said this, that if you don't believe in him, if you don't believe in the Son of God, then you will die. The one who preached the Sermon on the Mount has said this. The one who spoke the sea, the wind, the waves, he spoke this. The one who gave sight to the blind, the one whom the Father has called, this is my beloved Son. The one who rose from the dead on the third day, he has spoken to us. But if we reject his salvation, he will kill us. We might not express it, of course, in that phrase. But the warning of the Bible amounts to the same thing, that God will kill anyone who rejects this truth. We have to remember the words of John chapter 3. It says, whoever believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So Jesus quite clearly points out to us, that all who believe in the Son have eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life and what? And the wrath of God is on him. So God will give man the second death. We see in the scripture, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. 
God will really kill. He will put people to death who have rejected his son. And God has the prerogative. God is the one that gave life and God is the one that takes life away. We believe that because the scripture teaches us that. And we know that God will do exactly what God has said. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, For we ourselves were also once disobedient, foolish, deceitful, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, that having been justified justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So what is Paul clearly telling us? He's telling us, first of all, that we should not get prideful. In other words, when we look at the laws, we shouldn't get profitable because we used to be just like them. We used to do the same things that they did. So first of all, we ought to be thankful that God delivered us from the bondage of sin, that God changed our heart so that we no longer were disobedience to Him, no longer foolish, no longer lustful, no longer enjoying the things of this world, no longer hating one another, no longer envying, all these things that God changed our life, as He points out there. When the kindness of the love of God, our Savior, appeared to us, when was that? Well, that was at salvation. When that happened in our life and we were saved... Not by our own works of righteousness, as he says, but what Christ did according to his mercy. He says what? He saved us through the washing of regeneration and newing of the Holy Spirit. That God is the one that saved us. And as a result of what he has done in our life, then it will be evident. And what is the evidence? Well, he says the evidence there is that there will be maintained good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Again, in closing, I challenge you just like I did this morning. We need to examine ourselves to make sure those good works are there. Those good works that are given to us in the Word of God, the things that He tells us which are good works that are pleasing to Him that show forth that Christ has done a work of salvation in our life by changing our heart to where we bring forth fruit. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this great work of salvation. For we know that left to ourselves, we would have never sought you, we would have never loved you, we would have never sought to bring forth any fruit whatsoever. But we thank you, Father, that you, by your Spirit and your Word, have come to us and you have changed our heart and you have pierced our hearts with the word, the living sword, 
that has convicted us and caused us to repent of our sins and to look to Christ and Christ alone to where we have a change of direction, a change of mind to where we desire to pursue after holiness. And Father, we pray that we would be faithful to this, that each and every day that we would seek Thee, that we would repent of our sins and that we would pursue holiness so that we might live for You and that we might bring glory and honor to Your name and the fruit that we bring forth. And this we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.